yak babies, sex, presidents, and sometimes books. Welcome to Yak Baby, the only podcast on the internet sponsored by Moonshine Erotica. These hicks are thick. My name's Aaron, here my personal pals, Dave. Morning, boys. Hello. We have Brick. Aloha. And of course, we have New American Nico. Good morning, boys. Good morning to all. It is actually morning, so great. This episode, it's uh, time to check in once again and see what the personal pals are reading, what's been on their reading shelf lately. Do you have a reading shelf? What is a reading shelf in the first place? I guess you call it a bookshelf, but let's say it's a reading shelf <laughs> or on your audiobook app or whatever you're listening to or using these days for reading. I want to hear about it right now. We start with Brick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you said you had read stuff. I did actually read things this time. Okay. So this is a moment this occasion. Uh, yeah, it's first first in years. <laughs> so I have a... I mean, I didn't really read any adult things, but... <laughs> you know, we're working our way up. I got a handful of graphic novels and then a children's book, so it's fine. Nice. So following our comics roulette, I picked up Kaya. Oh, nice. Mm. The Lizard Riders book that we discussed in the roulette from around May, maybe. Yeah, written and drawn by Wes Craig, right? Wes Craig with Wordy and And World. Hmm. So this got the first five issues. I think we read the first one in that Mm -hmm. episode. Uh, I liked it. It's, I mean, I want to read more. It's not particularly deep or or anything. It's just kind of a a fun kind of adventure story. I mostly like it because I really like the art. It's colorful. It has good colors. It has good, you know, it's got like a kind of cartoony aesthetic. Yeah. So worth worth reading. I'm glad you pointed me in its direction. Um, <laughs> Good. I'm glad that I, think, out. I think there's another trade coming out, so I'm going to pick that up, and then I guess it's, yeah, my guess is that'll be the end of it for me. But oh, really? Not a long term read? Well, I mean, I read it a couple months ago, and truthfully, I don't remember it that much besides liking <laughs> it. So yeah, yeah, it's not. It's a fun time killer, but not something that's going down on the all timers list. Yeah, and I think you're right that the real draw there is the art. Russ Quake is a great artist, and it's just a treat to look at, even if the story is not necessarily the most gripping. Real quickly, I, I also picked up a book called Mouse Guard Fall 1152, which is a book I had a long time ago, and I think I read when I first bought and then promptly didn't remetter. It's a kind of Red Wall-style graphic novel. There's, yeah. I think, a whole series. I, I have a couple. I only read the first one. It also yeah, has, Mouse Guard. Is it it's a, a long-running series, yeah. Oh, is it? Well, great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the art's very good in it. Hmm. And it has, a for a short book, a surprisingly complicated, maybe not complicated, but a sophisticated plot. Hmm. It does a pretty good deal of world building in few pages between, you know, stuff going on in the background and uh, sort of economical use of, of, of dialogue and and, and short scenes to, to build nicely. So uh, narratively, it's it's pretty competent. Yeah. And, you know, and then the plot is for a thing about mice uh, running around with swords, <laughs> surprisingly political. Yeah. So it's pretty good. I will at least reread the other one I own. I don't know if I'm going to go around buy more, but uh, worth it. And then, Aaron, I don't know. Have you ever heard of this one? I, I, it seems famous. Uh, it's mm. called Moonshadow. Uh, I've definitely heard the name before, yeah. Uh, I think you should read this. So it is from, I think, 1995. Hang on. 1985. So it is called... Well, this is the the complete collection. So there's like a main run, and then I guess there's like a epilogue run, and this has them both put together. Uh, The artist is Jean-Marc Dematis. It is a very... It's weird. It's a... It's kind of build 
at least around the internet, as a as a fairy tale for adults. Uh, there are certainly huh. a bunch of boobs in it. <laughs> it's like this sci-fi fantasy kind of surrealism story. It's it's this memoir of this kid's life, like the the character's life, not the author. Uh, he's the son of a. <laughs> uh, his mom is a '60s. Uh, flower child hippie who has sex with an intergalactic moon (laughs) (laughs) and then he is born and then he has a spaceship and travels through space and also through different like story worlds Mm. and he's got this sidekick that is like a cross between Chewbacca and Bender from Futurama but the so the art is really good it's like watercolors it has a couple different style types it's i don't know it's it's very unique there's there's lots of weirdness um so they'll mm. be like kind of realistic looking things and then these guys with like weird faces oh yeah there's cool. like there's like all kinds of stuff going on it feels like it's deep or important but i don't know if it actually is or if it's just good at <laughs> feeling that way i probably need to read it again in the future Hmm. But I, I think, Aaron, you should like it and tell me if it's good, because I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, I liked it, but I don't know if it's good. Right. I like that writer. GMT Matisse is a great writer. And actually, one of the things I'm going to talk about in my segment is written by him as well. So, okay. yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah, so it, it has a feeling out. of, like, this is some dude's opus. That's, that's like, how it yeah. feels. And the art, if nothing else, is is really impressive so worth a look um i i went to a random comic shop a couple weeks ago and they had old comics sitting on a shelf and it looked cool so i ordered the collection just used it was like 20 bucks for this i mean it's like 500 pages it's a very right thick graphic novel yeah yeah so yeah you should read it and then report back and let me know if 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 i'm right to think it's good (laughs) and then finally i read a redwall book (laughs) because Nice. Keeping the trend alive. I, I wanted to. I talked about trying to reread some of those for a while, but uh, had it. So I read one called Marl Fox, uh, which is actually one I hadn't read as a kid. Uh, and I had a good time. So I might read some more. A, a lot more violent than I remembered. I haven't read a Redwall yeah. book in, in probably 20 years. There's like beheadings and shit. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Watership Down when you like, this is a nice book about rabbits. You're like, oh, no, it's actually yeah, oh, it's big wig. Awful. Just, yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. So I might I might try and read some more of those. I'm, I'm also working my way through some real books, but I haven't finished them. So I'm going to wait. Uh, or some uh, adult novels, maybe. Uh, so I'm going to... Uh, Hold. I, I find that if I talk about a book before I finish it, then I don't finish it. So I'm right. going to sit on those until I finish them. It's like that thing where if you tell someone your creative project before you've done it, you never do it because you already did the act of thinking through it with the discussion. Same thing. Correct. Yeah. So I won't report back on those. I will report back on that. I've uh, updated my eight o'clock reading policy. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, this, and this might be relative to another episode we're going to do because oh. I, I, I found that while initially successful, my 8 o'clock reading policy turned into my 8 o'clock mute the reading timer policy. And so, therefore, it was just a thing that was annoying every day at 8 o'clock. Right. Uh, so I stopped. So instead, what I did was enrolled Stephanie in my plot and changed it to 8 o'clock reading to 8 o'clock there's no uh, electronics in the house policy. Mm, okay. As a collaborative effort. Uh, mm. So all TV... I mean... You know, not like turning off the power or whatever, but like TVs, phones, anything but music is deactivated from from eight to nine o'clock. And it has been very nice. Uh, So sometimes sometimes I'll read and sometimes I'll putter around, but it's been going strong for a couple months now. So 
That's awesome. Recommend it. What happens when you putter around? You just, like, do shit around the house, you mean? Yeah. Like, um, I mean, it's the summer, so sometimes I'll just go sit outside. But, you know, or, like, you know, tidy up a room or something. Mm. Use the bidet. Use the bidet again. (laughs) Yeah. Clean my ass. Slurp a little slurp. (laughs) Yeah. So it's been nice. I'm having... The older I get, the more my relationship with my phone specifically is becoming antagonistic. But we can talk about that. Yeah, that's a preview of an upcoming episode. In, a, in another episode. Yeah, I, I have thoughts on that too. So yeah, we'll get at that. Well, good. Excellent. That sounds great. Nico, let's hear from you. When was the last, when did we last record? Like mid-May? Mm, yeah. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Okay. On location. I probably mentioned lessons in chemistry, but I think that's... That's that yeah. Familiar, yeah. Yeah, a book yeah. that everybody should read. Bonnie Garmus. Kitchens of the Great Midwest is another five-star read. I think that's those two are like my only five-star reads in the last uh, fucking three months. Which is did you talk terrible. about that Kitchens book or did, have I just heard of it? You probably just heard of it because I read it in June. It's mm-hmm. like it's a it's a like a low stakes like literary novel. It's it and it's weird. It's like each chapter is a different character, but it follows one main character, which is this woman who's like mother dies like when she's a baby and she becomes a chef and she does all this weird shit. But it's it's really good. We, we read the uh, audiobook when we were on a, a road trip and it like lasted like two whole days. We were just listening to the audiobook. And it's like one of those, you know, when you have a good audiobook on a road trip and it just, you know, you, the time just flies by. Yeah. I wish that was a description on the back jacket of the woman, her mother dies, she goes to chef and does some weird shit. Like, it's a very good, Probably, succinct description. Basically, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, it's that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, she starts a business and, like, has, you know, judges a bakery, baking contest, you know, shit like that. <laughs> this is Diane Ma Davidson? <laughs> and it's, like, very, very Midwest, obviously, from the title, and uh, but very well written. Hmm. Did you guys have you guys ever read Wool or watched Silo? Not yet. No. The new uh, Apple TV show. Man, it was it was. I hated it. <laughs> so we had we read Wool actually for a book club right when Silo was coming out. Uh, so we watched Silo, and si- Silo is it's Are they the same thing. Incredibly frustrating. Yeah, Silo is like the TV adaptation of Wool okay. of the of the entire series, and Wool is the first book in the trilogy. Gotcha. And it's just, there's like huge, huge plot holes. So one of my mm-hmm. favorite things now is to just kind of go on the, the silo subreddit and just watch people bring up these plot holes like over and over. And then the people who like the books get really pissed off and they're like, it's not plot holes, but they are plot holes. And in fact, there is, there is an AMA on that subreddit with, uh, with Hugh Howie, the writer, and he said at one point that he doesn't mind plot holes and that actually he sees them, I'm paraphrasing, but he sees them as a fault of uh, the reader's imagination. <laughs> he's like, he's like, yeah. I, and, and somebody asked about one particular plot hole in the show. And he's like, yeah, I can't really think of a good reason for that to happen. But like, if you want to come up with one, you could like, here's one. And then he, he does like a 300 word reason for this to exist, like convoluted this, but like this person used, but, and then she put this program in the computer and it's like, Jesus Christ, dude, like that, it's it's yeah of course you can come up with whatever the fuck you want you can just say it's yeah it's it's all god it's all mysterious right. forces we don't understand that doesn't mean it's not a plot hole 
And it does mean right. that you didn't fuck up when you were writing the book. Like, sorry. Even right. even if I could come up with the reason for it, it's not my fault. So that was... Uh, There's a thing that, that was, they used to do in Marvel Comics in the 60s and 70s when Stan Lee was still, like, the primary editor, where they would... if the if the reader could identify a plot hole and then find an explanation for how it actually made sense, they would get a thing called a no prize, which was they would get like an envelope of the mail. It was just like an envelope that had a picture of Dr. Doom. It was like, here's your no prize. There's nothing in it. Which is the idea of like, if you could like help us cover our asses, we'll like give you a little like gag gift, whatever. It was kind of, yeah. I always was hoping I'd get a no prize when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that can be kind of fun, but like to be totally. the asshole who's like, there's, I, I saw a YouTube video a while ago too about somebody whose like hobby was what he called apologetics for Star Wars. So it was like he would go in and all of the like, you know, scientific inaccuracies and all this shit. It's like, why do the lasers make noise when it's in space? They should right. make noise. And like, why can you hear, you know, uh, uh, the, the laser hitting, the 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 other spaceship and and his answer was that because you don't want to have your eyes on the screens all the time they had come up with this sound like way to to deliver information so the computer would watch the laser hit the thing and then create the sound so you could like hear it without looking at it <laughs> yeah so <It's> <laughs> so what can you do um so i i've also been Reading a lot of Robert Cray, who's like a procedural writer. His mm-hmm. uh, his stuff is good. Demolition Angel and L.A. Requiem were four star reads at least. Let's see what's what's another shitty book I read. Oh, so there's this book called The Hunter by Jennifer Herrera, which is a, a mystery, really well written, and like the first the first half was really good and set up the premise really well. And then, like, when she started answering the questions, it was clear, like, she had no idea what the answers were. And, like, there was no foundation for it. So, like, for instance, the main one is, like, she the, – the main character used to be an NYPD detective. And then one day, she and her partner corner this guy who murdered a child on video. And, and like, they have him dead to rights. They, and uh, she just decides, instead of taking the guy in – she instead points her gun at her partner and lets the guy go. And that like destroys her career, destroys her life, her marriage dissolves, all this stuff. So that one of the central questions is why did she do that? And uh, spoilers, it turns out that she did it because her husband has cancer. What? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What? And so she was like, I guess the, the um, logic is that because – her life, like, because he was going to die, he has, like, stage four cancer. Because she, he was going to die, she decided to blow up her life, too. Right. I mean, it's pretty dumb. <laughs> it's thin. And especially, like, she, so then the entire book, she's like, I don't even know why I did it. Like, I just felt, and then finally she, like, uncovers her motivation. And it's like, that's weak as hell. Yeah. And also, like, to, well, I don't, it doesn't need to be litigated. That's very stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It explains itself why it's stupid. Yeah. And it's one of those books. I So I, I listened to her on a podcast and, and like she's a really good writer. It's just not a great plotter. Right. And she was saying that she had come up with this scene first where like she describes the way that this action like destroys the character's life. And then she came up with the reason for it. And she was describing like not going for the obvious reason and going for like the less obvious reason. It's like, yeah, I think you went a little too unobvious and you've flipped all the way back around to it doesn't make any sense 
and it doesn't yeah. actually like support the character because the character the entire time just wants her job back and just wants her marriage back and it's like but you intentionally destroyed those things so like right what sense does that make i feel like in that case like if the as a reader i'd I'd rather have a story where it's not explained and it's just like this inexplicable action this kind of random thing that someone does that ruins their life and to see the consequences of that versus having to be like oh well what if it was like brain legions or something like that like that's less interesting to me yeah i know and then so then the last last one i've got is this one which is big news in maine right now because this guy lives in maine and he's actually in my book club um nick fuller guggins yeah this is called the great transition by nick fuller guggins and it's about it's kind of an interesting take on a dystopian novel so the great transition is is basically in the near future the ice shelf collapses and the world is flooded the climate crisis like reaches its apex and then finally people start to do shit and then like 20 years later it starts and it's like the biggest city in the world is in greenland because that's like everybody goes north and like new york is fucked and just like a huge gets like hurricanes every every day and and they that kind of stuff and then uh so then it focuses on this family and the parents were both involved in the in the great transition to go from what we have now to the future. And the mom is like a eco-terrorist basically. So she, when it starts, like she's part of this group that is just assassinating the last people who were involved with the climate crisis. I'm about halfway done. So far it's pretty good. I'm, I hope it, uh, I hope it uh, lives up to its premise. Cause like the premise is, good the world building is really good it's like a unique take on dystopian kind of setup yeah 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 so that's that's cool that sounds good that sounds interesting and it sounds like you know it's one of those things where in our current moment climate crisis and like post-climate fiction is taking the place of post-apocalyptic fiction like or post-nuclear fiction where it used to be like all the cities on earth are blown away by nuclear weapons and the mutants that are left have to battle for whatever. And now it's like, yeah. it's just the weather. It's just, yeah. you know, <laughs> it didn't have to be nuclear weapons. It's really, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Dave, what about you? Well, I'm still struggling to read actual books. I haven't finished. I just looked it up. I haven't finished a book since March. Wow. And I haven't even finished beloved, which I think maybe I'll just uh, have to put that away. Um, as an idea. <laughs> Luckily, though, I'm, and it's such a weird kind of switch because we always talk about how, for so many years, we talked about how, like, we like the idea of literary magazines, but we never read them because why? Yeah. Why do that? Um, but that's been my reading has been these magazines that I think I talked about last time. So I'm subscribing to a few. Um, I asked for a few magazines as a Christmas gift from my family. So they got subscriptions to. Like Boulevard, Plowshares, and One Story. And One Story, I'm really digging that Hmm. because they, you know, sometimes a a new issue of a literary mag will come out and it's just, there's just so much shit inside of it and, you know, don't really know how to navigate that because, you know, you don't like sit down and read it straight through. But I'm also like kind of a completist. So if I read one piece inside of a literary magazine, I feel like I have to read everything (laughs) inside of it. Uh, which is super dumb, but so one story just comes every, I don't know, three weeks or so. It feels a little more often than once a month. And that's all it is. It's just one story. 
typically a little bit longer, like 5,000 words or more, sometimes less. I think they cap it at 8,000. But they're usually pretty good. And so recently, there was one called Mall of America by Suzanne mm. Wang. Super good. Maybe the best of this, this magazine since I started. I've gotten like seven or eight of them since I subscribed. So that was, that's good because you can, you know, you can sit down and anyone can sit down and just like knock out a short story as a reader. So I kind of appreciate that. And the most recent one I have is a Dave Eggers, which was, you know, it was, it's forgettable, but you know, it's like a, a fine reading experience. He's a good writer, obviously. So right. it's nice to just like sit down and spend a few minutes with something if I'm not able to read an actual book. Yeah. And then in the current plowshares, I've been reading some of the fiction. Some of it's really good. There's a, Aaron, I know you like this Andre Debu, Debu or Debu? Yeah. I think it's Debu. Debu, the third. I haven't read his yet. But one of the best stories I've read in recent memory is in this current Plowshares, and it comes from Patrick Somerville. Hmm. Nico, I know oh. you like his his short fiction. Yeah. And I think he writes he writes what he wrote Station Eleven, right? He was the the series, not the book. Yeah, I think he was the showrunner. Yeah. He was a showrunner. And maybe it had something to do with the leftovers too. Yeah. So that was really good. And then also a very good Jess Walter story, who I've enjoyed a couple of that guy's novels, although none of the titles come to mind now. So yeah, that's for the past few months. That's really all I've been reading is just some kind of random short stories. But you so know, you, it's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's still reading. When you go through a magazine or an issue like that, are you looking for the short fiction exclusively like is there are you reading poetry too are you reading interviews and essays like what are you what are you looking for in yeah. hierarchy or, or priority as far as priority i'll definitely start with the fiction yeah and usually if there's a name or two that i'm familiar with in the magazine i'll start there and then just read like some of the other from from randos yeah and then in this particular plowshares i don't remember how they do it they might rotate poetry and prose so in this issue there's only so there's about a dozen short stories a few pieces of nonfiction, and then you know usually they run like some smaller pieces in the back like book reviews and stuff so i'll read all the fiction in here first and then read the couple pieces of nonfiction, and then you know see what the the stuff in the back is all about right gotcha so so, you know out of like a dozen short stories I will expect to, you know, I really have already liked quite a bit the two that I mentioned. There are a couple others that are like, okay, but forgettable, like most, like most of these magazines. Yeah. That's a good hit rate. I would think, you know, if more than more often than not, you're having a good time reading the stuff from that, that magazine, that's good. That's a good investment then. Sure. I mean, you know, it helps that it's plowshares. It's like one of the better ones around, you know, we've talked about how like you get like, you know, bumblefuck journal from you know mfa program in like you know central arkansas or whatever like you know good on them for for doing it and putting it out and and whatever but yeah if there's a dozen stories in that it would be surprising to have one that's like that you would remember in a month right that resonates yeah make a note to start bumblefuck magazine (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of a good title isn't it yeah it's pretty good Did you get the new Bumblefuck? Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's some good stuff in there. Excellent. A couple things on my end. I got two 33 and a thirds that represent, I think, the the sort of polar experiences of this series. One is one of the best ones I've ever read. 
It's by a writer named Don Breithaupt. I think is how you pronounce that name. And it's on Steely Dan's Asia, which is a record I love. And this is a, a really fun read because it's very well researched. So Don Breithaupt is a musician. He went to Berkeley here in Boston. And so he has a musicology background and he leans into it, but does it enough where, you know, he explains like chord changes and stuff like that. And there's some, we talked about modes and things like that that I don't totally understand because I'm not, I, I petered out uh, when it came to music theory when I was in band. But there's enough that you understand what he's talking about. And he just knows his stuff and is a really, I feel like I learned a lot about poetic analysis from this book. Uh, the way he reads Steely Dan's lyrics and thinks about the connections there. It was just really, it was a blast. I had so much fun reading it. And it brought an album I already loved to life in a new and exciting way. The opposite version of that is this one by Sherry Percy about the album Come Away with ESG by the band ESG. I'd never heard of ESG until recently. I was actually looking up the, I was listening to Return of the Mac, and I wondered, like, what are the samples the song's built on, just out of curiosity, so that there's like a website where it shows you what all the samples are. And one of them was the song UFO by ESG. And I was like, I never heard of this band before, the song. I wanted to just like check it out and see what they took from that for this, you know, what, what the sample was. And the song is incredible. So ESG is a sisters. It's a group of sisters who had like a sort of like post-punk kind of funk band in Queens in the 80s. But they were, their sound is sort of like Joy Division crossed with James Brown. Uh, and they were recorded by Martin Hanna, who produced Joy Division's first record. So it just has this awesome sound to it. And I was in love immediately. I listened to all their stuff and just like, I, the ESG is the coolest band. Why don't I know about this before? Everyone should know about ESG. So then I saw there was a 33 to 30 that came out recently. I was like, fucking perfect. So one day I happened to be on a quest in Boston where I was going to be out all day waiting for something. I was waiting for my bike to be repaired. And I was didn't know how long I was going to have to wait, but I didn't want to have to go back home. So I went to Harvard Bookstore and picked up the... ESG because they're you know these are short books. This is a hundred pages or so. I, was like, I can crank this out while I'm waiting probably and have a good time and learn about this new band. I'm excited to hear about. Well, unfortunately, this book is dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's riddled, <laughs> riddled with errors. There's a bunch of weird stuff where I shouldn't say dog. That's very mean. But it's not a very <laughs> good book. So there's tons of errors, like fact errors. At one point, she describes Joy Division as a trio. They were a quartet. At some point, she talks about. Oh yeah, here's a here's a passage. A reaction against the new wave sensibilities of their pop-leaning peers like Blondie, Talking Heads, and the Velvet Underground. No wave channel noise, dissonance, and atonality. And like Velvet Underground were not new wave, nor were they contemporaries of Blondie or Talking Heads. They were already it's just like weird stuff like that. But then also, there's a bunch of like copy editing marks left in the manuscript. So at one point, she's talking about a record store in New York called Bleaker Bob's. And she puts the uh, SP abbreviation before it because Bleeker is spelled B-L-E-E-C-K-E-R. Kind of an unusual spelling. So whenever she references she puts it, it comes out as SP period Bleeker Bobs, which is like, I read as like, check the spelling on Bleeker Bobs, make sure it's spelled properly before you go to final draft. But it just never got taken out of the manuscript. There's another section where she writes a sentence. I wish I had it. I don't think I wrote it down in Forge or had it uh, earmarked. But the sentence has a comment to the author in the middle of it to like look up something like look up a reference and it's just like right there in the book jesus like, christ and part of the problem is the author in the intro tells you that she interviewed the uh, leader of the band whose name is oh geez um renee scott scroggins rather 
for an article a couple years back and the interview was really good. And then she went to go re-interview her for the book and all of a sudden Scroggins wanted no part of any kind of interviewing or didn't, didn't trust the project. And so it kind of falls apart right there. So the book is assembled through interviews with other people who kind of either knew them or were like fans of them. Like there's a whole like 20 page section about the yeah, yeah, yeahs uh, and how they were influenced by ESG, which is great. But it's like, it's a lot about the yeah, yeah, yeahs and not a lot about the band that I was purportedly reading about. Um, so a, a, just a big whiff. And it was a big bummer because I was looking forward to learning more about a somewhat obscure band. And I learned, you know, precious little. So that's too bad. Does that happen has that has that happened with thirty three and a third before? I've never I've never seen editing errors like that to that degree. That seems I've definitely crazy. seen typos or like a couple fact errors where it's like, oh, they got the dates wrong or whatever. Yeah. That's pretty it happens here and there. But this like to have the manuscript marks in the text That's insane. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's sloppy. I mean, just, it, That's just they just must not have copy edited it. Yeah, clearly. I mean I think that my guess is that if you are freelancing for Bloomsbury, uh, who publishes the series, then you are providing your own copy editor. That you get, you get an advance. It's like turn your manuscript in when it's done, and we'll publish it basically. So if you don't get a copy edited yourself and and probably fund for it, uh, then you're not going to get a copy edited, or you're doing it yourself. I think that's that's probably what's happening, which really sucks. Yikes! Yeah, yeah. So they're basically just self-published. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you know, with promotion apparatus. Yeah. I mean, this is all speculation. I have no idea, actually. But I get the feeling that that situation where it's like, great. So make sure you get this edited before you turn it in. (laughs) And then literally nobody's going to look at it. Yeah. It's wild. Copy editors are vital, and you shouldn't have to foot the bill for your own copy editor if you're publishing with a major pub or you know major in quotes, but like you know a big publisher. Yeah, it's a major publisher. Yeah. Something I did like a lot. Uh, which is a, a genre I don't often read is memoir. And I read the memoir by Tom Sharpling, uh, the host of the best show and podcast called double threat. He's a comedy writer and just like a very generally funny guy, um, director, uh, his memoir is called it never ends. And I really liked it. It's fun. It's well, actually it's not, fun. it's very sad, but it's also very funny. It's about, you know, it's about his life, but I would argue it's about like how trauma and like darkness turns into, comedy essentially like how you become a comedian by processing your sort of personal drama you know lots of stuff i didn't know about tom sharpling in here that was really sad but also a lot of really funny anecdotes and he's got a good voice and there's lots of absurdity in this book which is great what i liked best about it was it didn't feel like the kind of famous person or pseudo famous person memoir that is workshopped to death in a writer's group like i don't know if you've like experiences but you read celebrity memoirs and they all start with a chapter, you know, ahead of the story. And then it says like, but let's pull back and go to the, the very beginning. Right. I feel like it always does that, right? Like the, the first chapter is my triumphant concert when I, you know, finally played the song that I like. And then it's like, but where'd that song come from? Well, I guess I was a boy. Like that kind of <laughs> thing. This feels much more written as a solo project straight ahead. Obviously there was help, but it just doesn't have that same kind of like workshopped and overly familiar memoir structure that, that sometimes you get in these books because memoir is so popular now. Yeah, so really fun. I think you probably have to be a Sharpling fan to really want to read it, but it's great. If you like Sharpling at all or just like comedy, then it's worth checking out, certainly. And then lastly, I picked up a book by Don DeLillo called Endzone, which is maybe second novel, I believe. It's one of the early ones for sure. When I got this, 
I saw Dondolo Endzone. I was like, oh, Endzone. I guess probably like the end of time in a zone where there is no time or something. And it's about football. (laughs) 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 Which I didn't see coming. But so far, it's good. I'm only about maybe a third of the way through it. But it's funny to see how immediately DeLillo's voice is locked in here. Like, it just sounds just like white noise. The same kind of like paragraphs full of litanies of description, precise details, detached you know, unemotional voice. It's like, this, this is just like, he really had it figured out from the get-go. Supposedly there is a triumphant description of a football game in this book somewhere. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. That's what people seem to talk about it most when they discuss this book. I will say there's no plot so far. <laughs> it's just a guy at a school in West Texas playing football and nothing seems to be happening about 60 pages in. <laughs> so I'm hoping that maybe something will happen or there'll be some sort of like, motivating engine for the plot but yeah i mean it's definitely definitely delillo you know up he, front in person he wrote um one of the best pieces of baseball related fiction i've ever read oh really yeah and it turned into or i don't know if it always was uh it was the preface or prologue i guess to a very long novel fuck it's not coming to me maybe 15 years ago oh. Mm-hmm. It's a Don Quixote, but probably not. Oh, yeah, probably not. But it, yeah, so there, there, it's this prologue about the the Bobby Thompson shot her around the world game and like the people who were in the stands that day and where the ball ended up. Right. It's uh, Underworld. It's, it's very good. Yeah, Underworld. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Gotcha. And then apparently Underworld itself has very little to do with the prologue. Like it's almost totally detached from the rest of the book. From what I've yeah. heard, I haven't read the book, so I have no idea. But that prologue is excellent. And it's yeah, it was published as a standalone piece somewhere like Harper's or Atlantic. Mm. Uh, but it's very, very good. I think I, I once gave my dad a anthology of like sports writing, or I think it was maybe baseball stories. And I think that was in it too. It was one of the things yeah. that was anthologized in that. So yeah, excellent. Yeah, I had that exact experience with that. I read the prologue blown away by it and then the book starts and it's like anyway this artist in arizona (laughs) what oh yeah and never never finished the rest of the books it's like that's doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything how deep into the (laughs) book proper did you get uh not not far (laughs) because it's also 900 pages long or something so it's like i don't really and after that there was it was like such a great opening scene it's like i can't yeah i don't know Maybe that's where I heard that the rest of the book has nothing to do with the, the For prologue. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're my source. Who do you think is harder to talk to just to have a conversation with DeLillo or Cork McCarthy? Before he's he was dead, dead, so. <laughs> <laughs> Come back, McCumpy. I would like to see them like in one of those like the 42nd street why like in conversation yeah. don delillo talks to cormac mccarthy and they just gruffly like sit there yeah. and glare at each other or like adam gopnik trying to like uh tease out from delillo some kind of anecdote <laughs> or trying to like pull jokes and delillo just like shooting lasers into his face from his eyes it seems like a guy for like books that are very funny I can't imagine having a laugh with them. It seems no. like a stressful encounter. Yeah. Yeah. No Texas Toast comments there. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, let us uh, tell us what you are reading these days. You can find us. Uh, well, email us is the best way to find us these days. Yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com or go to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash yakbabies where you can comment there. The Patreon is only a dollar a month. That's You get access to everything with that dollar. And that's where we have our bonus podcast where we're doing all kinds of fun 
goofy stuff there. We got a, a current series about pickle jokes. It's like 113 or 130 pickle jokes, something like that. And we're, we're, we're running down these pickle jokes and trying to figure out which ones are funny, which ones aren't. And, and you might be surprised to find that most of them aren't funny. There's a lot of, there's a lot of bad jokes there, but it's good discussion. There's also bird bro conversations and just all kinds of fun stuff happening on the Patreon. So check that out for that dollar. And then you have uh, merch, uh, tinyurl.com slash jackbabies, where we have some t-shirts you can buy or posters and, and mugs and stuff, all designed by Brick, and they're very funny uh, and based on our little jokes. Uh, so if you'd like to have the, our little jokes in your head, you can put them on your shirt and have a joke shirt too, which would be great. So check that out as well. Until then, Yak Babies, yakking off. The Yak Babies would like to thank all the loyal listeners, and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael. Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, Gilbert, and William Howard Taft. Oh.